3: 16 years ago kate bush made her storybook entrance into the pop music world she was discovered by guitarist david gilmore of pink floyd her first album went straight to the top of the british pop charts while she was still a teenager bush developed a loyal following in the united states and even scored a top 30 hit with the song running up that hill but further success has eluded her here she's never done a concert in the u.s in part because she doesn't like to fly Bush has released her eighth album, The Red Shoes, which is receiving praise from critics and fans and once again getting her some airplay.
2: Come one, come all to a new episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. As always, I am your very bubbly host, Cecily. And wow, we've got a really cool episode for you guys. We are doing an album introduction episode because get this, guys, we have now made it through six albums so far. Six albums. We started with The Kick Inside. I can't believe it's already been like five years since I put that out. Holy crap. And then we have Lionheart. We've talked about Never Forever, The Dreaming, Hounds of Love, The Central World, and now we're going to be talking about The Red Shoes. So that's what we're going to be talking about this season. So we're going to be talking about the album songs. We'll talk about the B-sides, two of which you just heard there in that little little mix that I made, Um, Show a Little Devotion and You Want Alchemy. And also, there are some um, collaborations that Kate Bush did during this time, too. So we'll be talking about those. So I'm, as always, super excited to be talking about more Kate Bush songs. We've also got a lot of guests who are going to be on this season who have not already been on the show before. So we'll get to hear from some new folks. Um, And so super excited, as always, as always, 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 always happy to be talking about Kate Bush with you guys. And so this episode is an album introduction episode. So if you've been following the show for a while, you know how the format goes. You know that it's consists of me talking with another fan about just the general, uh, just generally about the album. Like, how did it do? What were the singles? Uh, what was the reception? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll start to get into like actual song episodes coming up for the next, I guess, 16, 17 weeks. (laughs) So that's what we got going on in this episode. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with a a familiar face or familiar voice, I should say, um, from the show. We are friends outside of the show as well. We're going to be talking with Zoe. So we're going to be talking in general about the album, our favorite songs, all that fun stuff and I'm really excited for you guys to hear our conversation. Now, it's worth noting that I am recording this now in July. In fact, this is July 1st that I'm recording this, July 1st, 2022. When we recorded this, it was mid-March of 2022. So there are some brief mentions in our discussion about Like, oh, she's never charted much higher than this in the United States and blah, blah, blah. So when we recorded this, obviously, Stranger Things was not out yet. So obviously things have changed (laughs) a little since then. But just so you know, just just, so that you guys don't go, "Mm, wait, but she's now charted better here now. That's because when we recorded this, it was in March and we're now in July. Uh, That's a post-Stranger Things world, (laughs) if you will. So without further ado... Let's get on into it. I'm really excited for you guys to hear our discussion in general of the Red Shoes, the album, and all that fun stuff, so let's get on into it. Here we go. And actually, before we do, hey, one more little note here. This is future editing, Cecily here. I just wanted to mention that at some point, some of my audio was a little bit crackly. I'm not sure exactly what happened, But if you notice that in the episode, I do apologize. I've tried to mitigate it as much as I can. But in any case, I don't think that it will affect your enjoyment of the episode. So now here we go. Now let's get on into it. Well, welcome everybody to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. So we're doing a very special episode this week. We're doing an album introduction episode because we're going to be starting a new season. We're going to be starting The Red Shoes. So today we're going to be giving an overview of the album and the singles and chart placements and things like that, all the little things talking about the album, and with me to talk about the album this week is a friend of the show and frequent guest also of the show. We have none other than... Hi, I'm Zoe, and very happy to be
1: back. And, and as I said earlier, the Kate Bush expanded universe, cinematic universe. So um, before she took a break from that universe and is on when this recording too. So... Um, of almost the same amount of time as so because between the Red Shoes and Ariel was 12 years and we are currently on we will be on 11 in 2022 since last work
2: so she's like "Go!" she's like I want to be my record (laughs) you know I, I was actually thinking about that the other day I was going oh yeah it has been almost 11 years But it hasn't felt as long this time. And I think it's because at least in that time, there have been other things going on. It just hasn't been like, hey, y'all, I'm going to drop an album four years in. Hey. (laughs) And also she did Before the Dawn. Yeah. Mm So
1: we've gotten so much more from that.
2: Yeah. But um, so today we're going to be talking about The Red Shoes. So this was the seventh studio album by English musician Kate Bush. Released on November 1st, 1993, it was accompanied by Bush's short film, The Line, The Cross and the Curve, and was her last album before the 12-year hiatus. So that's the basic overview of the album, um, at least of the uh, basic album information. Of course, there's much more to talk about with this. So where do we want to start with uh, talking about this album here? Yes, yeah, so I guess,
1: as we know, Sensual World was released in 1989. This was released in 1993. What happened between those years? How did this album come to be?
2: So there's quite a bit of interesting here. So in that time, I guess at some point she watched a 1948 film, also called The Red Shoes, which I've seen. I watched mm-hmm. it for a... Uh, A music, uh, not music project, a uh, movie project where I had to go. I was watching the um, Best Picture nominees and also Best Picture winners. And this was the movie was nominated for Best Picture in, I guess this would have been 1949. And so the the album was inspired by the film The Red Shoes uh, by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger and the film, in turn, was inspired by the fairy tale of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen. And this was a this was a fairy tale I remember reading when I was a kid, and it, it was in an anthology of Hans Christian Andersen's um, fairy tales. And so I remember reading the story, and it's it's about a dancer who. Puts on these beautiful red shoes and absolutely cannot stop dancing. And it gets kind of gory toward the end (laughs) because she just like keeps dancing and dancing and dancing and like she can't get the shoes off and she just eventually just keels over and dies because fairy tales are actually much darker than you think they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I say as I laugh, but really it's like, yeah, I mean, they are kind of dark. Um, I mean, come on. His version of the Little Mermaid is like, whoa, wait a minute. This is Mm -hmm. dark. My God um so bush had suggested that um she was going to tour for the album um so this is part of the story of the album like she was she even announced at the kate bush convention that hey i'm gonna tour with this and so she deliberately aimed for a live band feel with less of the studio trickery that had typified her last three albums which would be difficult to recreate on stage. I kind of take issue with that statement, but okay. Um, however, of course, as we know, the tour unfortunately never happened, and instead, a few months after the release of the Red Shoes, she released a movie incorporating six tracks from the album called "The Line, The Cross, and The Curve." So, mm-hmm. so yeah, within that time, a lot, a lot of also kind of gone on. Um, she also featured many. More high profile cameo appearances than she'd ever done before on her other on her other albums like um, use of most notably Prince lots of significant contributions from Prince for why should I love you there were uh, there was guitar work from Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and so is love and um gary brooker from the band pro call harem uh, who were best known for whiter shade of pale in the late 60s also appeared on two tracks um i didn't find out which two tracks he was on but mm, i'll punch that in later so this is future cecily here in the editing process actually gary brooker played on three songs from this album he played the hammond organ he played it on and so is love constellation of the heart and you're the one so it's actually three songs not two also, it's worth noting that he played keyboards when Kate performed at the wedding list at the Princess Trust Rock Gala on July 12th, 1982. So, another little fun fact there. All right, anyway, back to the show. Um, and then, also at this time, too, she was going through a lot of emotional and personal things. Like, she, um, her longtime guitarist, Alan Murphy, he died um during that time and also one of her dancers from the tour of life passed away he passed away from aids and she was also dealing with her mother who had passed away so there was a lot of that going. honestly it's a lot there was a lot going on in those three years my god Mm -hmm. and so she talked a lot about how
1: um she talked about how like her mother's death is not part of the album said so I wasn't able to, haven't been able to write about it, any of it. Nevertheless, the experience is there, being expressed in various subliminal things, like the quality of some of the performances. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so her mom—I don't remember exactly when she died, but around 1991, when Kate did her Rocket Man cover on *Wogan*, because that was her favorite, her favorite show. Kate had like the and *Wogan* himself to give a little shout-out to her. Um, so it was really so she was sick and dying over the course of the years in between um, *Sensual World and The Red Shoes. And then in addition to, um, she and Del Palmer, her bass player and engineer, ended their relationship of 15 years. So while also working Mm -hmm. on this album at the same time, and he has continued to be an engineer for her work, her spare work since then. Um, So a lot, yeah, as you said, a lot going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And which she says doesn't really inform it but we don't really know because she also at this point in her career is more guarded around in mm-hmm. interviews guarded around interviewers i think after the 1985 night interviews interview she's like i don't trust any of you so <laughs> for real <laughs> um so she just so she just kind of says whatever has to be said Del palmer said the idea of the album was to get it recorded quickly and get out on the road with it um yeah something i find interesting is like i don't know if she actually has said that the whole album is inspired by the film the red shoes i would prefer this i would i'm i would love to hear her make an album that was like very much and we'll talk about this later for me one of the reasons i don't find this album as strong as her others is because there doesn't seem to be stuff that you like a unifying either like um emotional or Mm -hmm. musical theme to the work And something she has, and like a a red shoes concept album or fairy tale concept album, would be very cool. Especially because with the red shoes, um, the original fairy tale and the movie for those of you who haven't seen it, it's incredible. Watch it; it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about this young dancer named Victoria Page, um, played by Moira Shearer, and um, about like her own struggle between art and life. There's a really I think most famous part of the movie is when the um, head of the ballet company asks her, why do you want to dance? And she says, why do you want to live?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I
2: remember and that so,
0: part.
1: Yeah, it's very memorable. So the fairy tale has been, and the movie, have both been interpreted as the idea of being possessed by art and wanting to obs- embrace the obsession in ways where it can take control of you. And I find that really interesting in the frame of her career, that concept mm-hmm. of that quote I just shared, because her art, she has always said, "I'm a writer. I've never looked for fame. It just kind of happened to me. And it reminds me of the way like she her art carried her into unexpected and often uncomfortable directions in the same way that these red shoes pull the protagonist of that story out of her control. They just they keep her dancing and dancing when she doesn't want to be dancing anymore. And I want, I think, and at one point, Kate, I think, did take agency. Like, in the story, the Chris Anderson story, at one point, she, and it's gory, she, like, cuts her feet off yep. in order to stop dancing, and I wonder if that's kind of the equivalent of her taking a 12-year hiatus or her ref- choosing mm-hmm. not to tour, you know? Like, she has taken agency over her life in ways that the girl in the story can't. But she is somebody who, like, has, she's talked about feeling objectified in the song I if you go back to our episode about the song, get out of my house from years ago, um, I have talked at length about how I believe that song is like a allegory and like a lot of metaphors about her experience of being a woman in the public spotlight Mm -hmm. and objectified as a woman. So Del Palmer too. It's interesting. Like it feels like the shoes and her own music moves gift for music are akin in a way because they pull them like Del Palmer at one point described her as a driven person. It's like, what she was this is what she had to do it's like god put her on this Mm -hmm. earth to do this so kind of if you were to ask kate bush be like why do you make music maybe she would say why do you live um you know both are just these forces that pull them as if from outside themselves and Mm -hmm. i think that could be a really interesting album concept i don't think we actually see a lot of that there is of course the title track my favorite song on the album which is about the like directly about the story in a very literal because this is Kate Bush and she's always very literal kind of way. <laughs> um, but it would be cool to see. I don't know what like a Red Shoes concept album would look like, but yeah. And it also continues her tradition of being impacted by film because, you know, Red mm-hmm. Shoes is a classic film and she's incorporated cin- like cinematic references into a lot of her work. Um, and of course then made a short film from six of the songs here with the line across the, the curve, which Cecily and I will do an episode about later on. Um, but yeah, it's just it's interesting because I think the Red Shoes as a story and the themes it brings up is a lot more evocative and compelling than what this album ended up being. Um, and I and it, I think it's interesting to always think about what does somebody choose as the title? Like, why did she choose as the title? What is it speaking to? And I think, as I said, what this story speaks to is the idea of like art pulling you as a force, like an uncontrollable force outside of yourself. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's something that resonated with her and why she chose it as the title. Yeah. and the, the cover image this is the first cover image she has it doesn't show her on it a pair it shows like the the sh- um feet shoes and point the feet and point shoes and with the torn stockings shows it's dancing for salon and apparently her record company was very upset that she wasn't in the cover image
2: you know i i think too i really think that maybe why Kate might have been drawn to the Red Shoes as a title and also the story. Like the idea of just like you were saying, you know, her being driven and she is, she's such a driven person. The idea of just, you no, know, I got to keep going. I got to keep going, even though I really am not in a good mental state or anything right now, but I need to just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then there's a double meaning too, with her being a dancer because mm-hmm. dancing was such a part of her art. And it's especially on doing the, on the tour of life and in, um, Like the 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 running up that hill video, like all of that is very incorporating dance, and so I feel like it's that's probably why Kate might have been drawn to it's just this idea of like I have to just keep going, keep going, keep going, even when I'm not in a good state. Like uh, like when we get to talk about like our individual favorite songs and everything, like Rubber Band Girl, it's very much about like bouncing back and just trying to trying to just keep going, even when you feel like shit, really. So. Yeah. And I wonder how much we don't,
1: she doesn't say a lot about this. I wonder how mm-hmm. much of this album is her feeling that the pull of, Oh, this is what I do. This is what I'm supposed to do versus wanting these songs and wanting to make these, these songs be out here and wanting to make these musics. We don't know. She hasn't spoken about that. Recently. Even since <laughs> she hasn't really said like she's talked about how she has regrets about the line, the cross and the curve. Um, but has, and uh, she had regrets about certain ways that the songs in this album came out from, but you know, because she made them on director's cut. But yeah, I mean, she's not, and she doesn't owe it to us. Like she's not somebody who talks about her feelings much in interviews, and she she doesn't have to. She doesn't owe it to
2: us. And what she owes to us is to make is make music, and that's what she does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Other times, she just takes a break because you know she has got to take a break. Some so I mean, you know, people got to take a break sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But yeah, that's. It's very much like, yeah, so she would kind of talk about like her in her own words. And I, I like this quote that you pulled from, from Under the Ivy, um, that, quote, she was determined to go back to a rooted way of working, returning more frequently to the piano, physically playing the song over and over, kneading it into shape. She expressed concern about her music being, quote, too complicated for people to take in that they would have to work too hard at it. Ideally, I would like the music to be an easy experience, unquote. Like many artists before and since, after the first flush of Wild Adventure had passed through her work, Bush began to seek a greater, hopefully more profound simplicity in both her words and her music. This wasn't complete; wasn't a commercial aspiration, more worried that she wasn't communicating as well as she might or really getting to grips with what was happening in her own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me,
1: all of that actually illustrates what makes it a less interesting album and explains why. Oh, some of those reasons are like sometimes simplicity is not actually the most profound way to communicate ideas and feelings sometimes it can come off actually as banal instead and i think it's hard to strike a balance for any artist between like how to be to, how to not be too direct and how to not be too flowery and i think it's something that she did perfect in many ways in the past and is struggles to get more of a hang-up here which we'll talk about later
2: Hmm. Yeah, and there's, so there's um, a source I found, and it it has, it's it's quoted as being the Red Shoes magazine, and I can't quite figure out if this was a supplement to the Red Shoes, uh, or to the, like, the homegrown Newsletter, or something, I'm not sure, I found it on the Wayback Machine, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and show description, and there's a lot of when she talks about it, it's Kate's interpretations is what it's called. And a lot of them here, like she, in many of the songs, when she goes through song by song, a lot of it, she mentions like in so in the song and so is love that quote, I wrote this song straight on to tape duff chords and all writing it over a drum sequence. So a lot of this was written like very like kind of, as they were saying in the quote, like physically playing the song over and over again, needing it in its shape instead of like for the dreaming being at the fair light and coming up with really weird kind of sounds. I do, by the way, take it take issue with like, you know, too complicated for people to take in or there was there was some other quote earlier about it, like not being able to like her previous songs wouldn't have been, would have been difficult to recreate live. I take issue with that because they're like, if you listen to something like the, if you listen to her playing breathing on just the electric piano, that performance for comic relief, she could do it. She could physically like go through and like, even like rework her songs to be more in that kind of arrangement if she had wanted to. So mm, I feel like, no, you just really didn't want to do it. And I'm being super honest with that. Like, you know, you, you, could have done it before but you just didn't want to (laughs) you know -hmm. what I mean yeah no I
1: agree with that I also find it interesting pulling from like this article where she's talking about the album and she says that um, my original intention that she wrote the songs pretty quickly and then and my original intention was to make an album of songs no thematic approaches to try to be more direct with lyrics in the production to try to be more simple I feel there are a lot of diverse styles in the album making the running order the most difficult yet. I think it is also a personal album, but I also feel it has a sense of humor and a playful quality. And amongst some sad songs, the message is one of the fun and joy of life trying to make the most of it, which is always best felt when reminded of life's tragedy, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I think it's interesting. I And we'll talk about this more later when we share our personal thoughts on the album. The lack of cohesion, I think, is what makes it less not as strong of an album for me than some of her other work um, and you know that that's what she had to do at the time Then she had to do it you know it's not a I don't think it's a bad album um, I think that the things that she's naming right there the lack of kind of diverse like and also too there are a lot of albums I love actually Never Forever being a great example Never Forever what I love about it is that the songs are really diverse from one another and all sound Mm -hmm. really different from one another and so you feel like you're getting this smorgasbord you're like at a buffet of all these different musical styles with Never Forever personally is how I feel Mm -hmm. and so I don't think that has to be a bad thing it's that as we'll discuss I don't think the musical styles and such that are done here are as compelling just generally but I do see that she was trying to talk about, like, life, essentially, about the balance between sadness and humor. Like, even in a song like Moments of Pleasure, which, you know, with the instrumentation, just feels like a, a tearjerker. She also incorporates, la- like, the idea of things that have made her laugh. You know, the case of George the Wife, oh, God, I can't stop laughing. Mm-hmm. So it, it is about the balance between all these different emotions in life.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, too, another quote that I was in Under the Ivy, which for those of you who haven't read it, it's a book by Graham Thompson. That's a very well-done biography of Kate Bush. Um, the songs are full of doubt, lyrically full of questions. Lyrically, the listener can take their pick of lines that might stand of manifestos for the way she was feeling. For example, we used to say, oh, hell, we're young, but now we see that life is sad and so is love. And it's interesting because I, she and Graham Thompson are interpreting this album as being in large part lost, I actually, not to always go back to the Dreaming, but I it is not only my favorite <laughs> album, but I think objectively the best album of all time. Mm-hmm. I actually, like Same when here. we talk about the Dreaming, I think that the Dreaming is about doubt and loss, but in richer, deeper, and more profound ways. So for example, um, how the song All the Love, which you can listen to our episode about, and analysis of, is about lost connections, and in a way that I think is much more meaningful and also moving. Um, And like sat in your lap is about the futility of searching for a sense of purpose and meaning in life. So those are about loss. Those are things that are related to grief and mourning and questioning life as Graham Thompson said but in ways that are much more interesting and have much more to dig into versus saying life is sad and so is love
2: you know it's a different you know what the difference is it's a difference between show and tell show versus tell yes 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 you know the first time I died was in the arms of good friends of mine oh that they, line that opener yeah. they held that me with tears started. hadn't tears. been near me for Nearing years me for yeah years. that line there like you don't you, you hear those lines and you know okay this is about somebody very lonely versus just saying out loud we used to say all oh, hell we're young but now we see that life is sad and so is love that that's just it's very it is it's very direct it's it's telling where she where kate used to show
1: Yeah, and I don't know how to toe this line. I don't know her, so I don't know how to toe this line between. I think sometimes when people talk about this album, The Red Shoes, it's kind of like they use—they're almost psychoanalyzing her, where they're saying like, "Oh, the loss of her mother meant that she like had to just more directly talk about things." But I don't know if that's fair to her as an artist, because we know that she's capable of much richer and deeper lyricism. So I don't know that it's fair to her as an artist to say, "Well, she was struggling with grief." Therefore, she couldn't, her work suffered and also allow for the truth of human life, which is that when we are struggling with grief, it is more challenging to work on things. I mean, she still made this album, you know, Mm -hmm. so nonetheless, so, so it's just, it's how do you strike that balance? It's not an answerable question, but it is something on my mind as we discuss this album.
2: Yeah. And even, even still, like the singles did all right. So there were, I know from this album, there were, there were four singles. I mean, there's five if you count. I, I don't I found this interesting that there was a non-album track that was released as a single in between the third and the fourth single, which is um finding Maybe a if interesting. I <laughs> meet him somewhere. <laughs>
1: Maybe oh, Maybe it's, it's, a good, it's, it's a fun single.
2: It is. It, it it's really pretty and like so I just recently dropped the episode about the king is dead. The, the Go West song, and now that's very jazzy, and that made me think, oh, yeah, because later she did the cover of uh, The Man I Love, which appears this season. So the leadoff single was Rubber Band Girl. I mean, that peaked at number 12. it That one spent five weeks on the chart, so okay, you know, it's about to go a little long time. Uh, Moments of Pleasure peaked at number 26. Red Shoes at number 21. Two weeks on the chart, oh, three weeks on the chart for... Moments of Pleasure, two weeks for the Red Shoes title track, and So was Love peaked at number 26 in November 94. So um, by the time that one came around, it was like it, the album had been out for about a year. And then The Man I Love came out in July of 94 and peaked at number 27. It was only on there for two weeks. So, I mean, the, the singles did they, – they did okay. I mean, they were in the top 40 at least. Um didn't stay on the charts for very long, which I find interesting, which um, if you look at, um, I actually pulled this from officialcharts.com, which by the way, British listeners, you have a such a much more navigable website for your charts than the Billboard website does. Because Billboard is just terrible. I'm sorry, trying to pull up anything on Billboard, just ads and everything everywhere and you can't find what you're looking for. I could just plug in like an artist and it tells me Right here, like all the times they charted on the albums and singles. Thank you, British people. You've got this right. Okay, I wish I wish our charts were like this. So yeah, you, know, you you pull them up, and what's interesting is just at the time, also what some of the stuff was on the charts. Like the week that Rubber Band Girl peaked, you had Go West by the Pet Shop Boys, Mr. Vane by Culture Beat. I didn't realize that Depeche Mode had a an EP out that was on there. And then you have hers, and it's you know it's interesting just also seeing like what all was on the charts too at the time, and you can see that
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah you know, she was trying to go for something kind of kind of poppy. I mean, very different from like I'm also seeing like Mariah Carey <laughs> right below that. I'm going whoa, that's got to be mm-hmm. quite the playlist, radio playlist having her next to next to Mariah Carey. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, seriously, and I think.
1: It's interesting too because I have often put myself in the point of view because as of this recording, I'm 30, I was born in 1991. So I put my, I've often wondered like what would it be like be a Kush, a, Kate, a Kush, huh? To be a Kate Bush fan in 19, in this time and hearing Rubber Band Girl come out. I think for me again, this it's this is my subjective thoughts. This is not but like I would feel a little like, is this it? Um, because I would be like, okay, so this is a rock song. What else is there gonna be? Like if that's the intro. Okay, this is what's in because like so Cecily and I are also really big fans of Florence the Machine. Hey. And she as of this recording has just come out with three new singles for her next upcoming album, which will be called Dance Viva. And um what I have liked about those singles is when I've heard them, I thought to myself, these have the elements of her work that I've enjoyed and also sound like they're moving in a different in a new direction for her. And if I were to hear Rubber Band Girl come out in the context and of Kate's earlier work, I would think, yes, it's a different direction for her. Is it pushing her into new challenges as well? I don't know that it is. Um, and also, too, to think about that, like, yes, it's still, like, not necessarily conventional, and a re- you had Tori Amos's and Bjork's debut albums coming out around the same time you know which are pushing which are pushing the envelope for women in music in so many ways um and PJ Harvey's early work you know they had that great iconic magazine cover the three of them together as kind of Mm -hmm. this new vanguard of women in alternative music so if you especially compare her work amongst what other quote-unquote experimental women are doing at that time it's odd because she really people think she's so much older than she is she's only a few years older than bjork she just started so young so it's interesting that like in a way it almost felt feels like a younger a younger generation of women were kind of taking up the vanguard of experimental women music from her during this time and her music seems to reinforce that idea perhaps
2: Mm -hmm. so well actually for for context so bjork was born in 1965 so she would have been Mm -hmm. like very early 30s by the time mm-hmm. um right even red and then actually she's she's has said that she's been very heavily influenced by kate and i can yeah. hear it like i can hear a direct mm-hmm. line from kate bush to her like oh yeah mm-hmm. like even more but it's, than yeah. from like kate bush to tori amos like i'm a fan mm-hmm. of both of them but i can't really see the tori thing but that's of course a whole discussion for another time like oh my god yeah it's <laughs> yeah. just
1: interesting to think about how like I just, they're like six years, like, like seven years apart. It's really they're not they're not really part of necessarily a different generation, and yet they feel for a Cape mm-hmm. Bush leader, like parts of different of different generations um, because of when their work has come out.
2: Yeah, and you know, as far as like you know, you you've kind of started talking about a little bit your your kind of your thoughts on the album. What's interesting is this actually technically was the first Cape Bush album I ever heard. Um, because my mom she knew I liked female singers from the eighties. She went to FYE, she asked the store clerk for any good female artists from the 80s I might like. And the store clerk suggested Kate Bush. <laughs> and for Christmas one year, and I, I wanna say it was it was right before I became a fan. So I was like, like, 2004 or something. Um, I got for Christmas one year, I got a copy of The Red Shoes. I kind of heard of Kate beforehand from Flashback Alternatives, which I've talked a lot about. Um, that really exposed me to a lot of the underground stuff. Um, but I hadn't heard a whole album from Kate at that time. And, like, I thought that some of the – I thought the songs were okay. And, and like, I ended up keeping it because it did start to grow on me a little bit. Um, the album is a little bit lower for me in terms of, like, if I have to rank my favorite albums. It's a little bit lower for me. Um, I, I like her earlier – slightly more experimental stuff – and the production on this one has always sounded very titty. It sounds like I, there's something about, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is, that it sounds a little bit more like treble heavy than her previous ones. It, it feels like it's a little bit, it, it feels more 80s than her 80s work, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it does. I had the same thought. Like, the, especially the way the synths sound. Yeah, like with the synths and also the drums, like the drums feel very, like, they they feel kind of they feel kind of plasticky, if that makes any sense. Like it, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of heft, a lot of like bottom end to them. It feels very like like they just turn the trouble up a little too high. So it was a little bit hard for me to get into because I just I couldn't quite get past the sound. But there are some songs on here I do like as a whole. I don't really sit and listen to it as a whole, although I do know that there are There are a lot of fans out there who really love this album. I recently joined a Kate Bush discord and there are a lot of people on there who are like, Oh my God, this is my favorite album of hers. So it's got its fans. It's got, it's like, like a lot of people who really, really like this, right? Like the album for me, like the, the songs there, there, I, if I'm in the mood for, for particular songs, like the title track, rubber band girl, moments of pleasure or top of the city. Like those are the ones I tend to go to. Like if, if I have to put like favorite album, favorite songs from the album together, because those kind of have the the some of the Kate Bush magic that I like, like the dynamic shifts and like you know the ending of Rubber Band Girl where she actually literally becomes the rubber band. It's like whoa, yeah, like that's very Kate. <laughs> and I mean, as a whole, I find it kind of uneven. Like if I'm being kind of honest, it's. I, it's like what we've been talking about with like there's there isn't like a um a, a complete theme or anything. It feels like a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. And that's not for me. That's not quite what I expect of her, though, you know, given what she was going through at the time. They're the, the, like the four. One, what two, three. Like the four songs I mentioned earlier, like those those I still really like. Those are like some of my favorites. And this is future Cecily punching in here. There was another favorite song from this era that I forgot to mention. Those were the four songs that uh, I mentioned there. But then there's another one, too, that I really like. And let me just tell you, I recently recorded the episode for that. And can't wait for you guys to hear that. You Want Alchemy. So it's a B-side. So we'll hear about that in the B-side era. But that's another one that I also really like from the Red Shoes era. You Want Alchemy. Anyway, back to the show. And I feel like there's also kind of a more of a conversational personal style that she goes for that doesn't quite feel her. Um, I would expect that more from somebody like, I don't know, like a, almost like a Joni Mitchell or something like that. Like yeah. being like, she's not someone who's usually like very direct like that. And so it, it, like we were talking earlier about the show and show versus tell, it feels like there's a lot more of telling where she used to show. I mean, you know, she mm-hmm. was trying to do something different and Honestly, like even against a lot of the pop at the time, it's still miles ahead of anything other people were doing. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Though, yeah, I think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. About what you're saying? Oh, oh, sorry. You know, go ahead. Because then I'm also about to nerd music nerd because there's something else that, like, like kind of in particular about the album I've noticed compared to her. No, go ahead. Course. So, you know, I'm a music nerd and I have in front of me, I have the piano vocal guitar book for the sh- songs from The Red Shoes. And a lot of the songs I noticed are just even just a couple of chords. And in fact, Rubber Band Girl, I'm looking at it here, it is nothing but it's a one chord song, A-flat major. It just kind of of goes between A-flat seven or A-flat suspended four, but it's all around A-flat. Like it's just one chord throughout the song. Um, And So Is Love kind of just goes between G, G minor and F. It's just like two chords. A lot of the songs on here are either one or two chords, or in the case of um, uh, "Eat the Music," it's let's see, that's in the key D major, D G A D G A, and that's the way it is throughout throughout the whole thing. So I could see she was definitely going for something simpler, like as opposed to like the songs from The Dreaming or even Houdini. I mean okay I'm I'm going to like you I'm going to keep going back to the dreaming cuz dreaming like Houdini oh my god you try playing that thing on piano it's like okay where is this chord coming from and blah 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 but on here it's it's a lot of like the same couple of chords I noticed which is very makes it very different from from her previous stuff
1: Yeah I think actually looking from it from that point of view is um from the point of view, is helpful to give actually more substance to like an instant, which is the instant of this doesn't feel like it has the same the same Bush magic, and then that actually substantiates why it doesn't. You know, like the fact of, of what the music, how the music is composed. And I think what you're saying about lyrics is very true. Um I and mean, for me, the main thing is the music. So the it has more conventional instrumentation, like the guitar on is like so Graham Thompson in. Under the Ivy, he called the guitar solo and on "So Is Love" a distressingly conventional sound to hear in a oh. Bush album. And actually, I I I don't dis that thing, I don't dislike any of these songs. Well, besides one, which we'll probably talk about. But um, and that's for my own neuroses reasons. But um. But it's not that it's bad. It just doesn't feel like what her musical ID has been up to this point, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. People's musical IDs can change. But I think the fact that, like especially on "50 Words to, for Snow," she like also a song like "Lake Tahoe" does feel more like a Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, does feel more like what her musical id has been it feels like this was more of a detour because it does okay like i did feel like even though it has the through line of relationships and communication i've always felt that the central world does feel more like a collection of songs than her other work up to that point rather than like a unified album and so this definitely continues on that track and so as a listener at the time i just thought okay this is where she's going but it's encouraging that she then shifted back i think or shifted mm-hmm. not back because she didn't go to what she was really doing she shifted elsewhere but um but I think just to more conventional instrumentation um, is just makes it less appealing to me. It's a perfectly good album. It's a very fine, good album. It's fine. It's, you know, um, I just I know there are people who really, really love it. Oh, yeah. And I would personally love to talk more to them to understand why, because I don't really see what makes this better than most conventional albums. Um in besides like little things so I do like one thing I do like a lot too is that I like that it opens with a song about the body with rubber band girl mm-hmm. because that is what so much of a career has been about I talked about how I don't remember where I talked about this someplace on this podcast but how I feel like the song <laughs> moving I feel mm-hmm. like the song moving which is the first song her first album is essentially like the thesis statement for her career like oh yeah she's like here's my abs like it's about so much of her work is about the body and how it moves and changes and our relationship with the body. And so I think having that open this album, it continues that theme, even though, like, as I said before, if I were to hear this song, I'd be like, is this Kate Bush? You know? Um, I'd be like, this sounds kind of like a normal person, (laughs) besides the rubber band (laughs) part at the end. And so title track has the most Kate Bush nods to me. I don't think it's a coincidence that she said it's the one that took her the most time to work on.
2: Yeah. I think... I, can no hear coincidence.
1: That. I genuinely love title track. It's so fun. It just sweeps you up. Um, other standouts from your Lily Slaps. It's fun. Again, mm-hmm. it's kind of nor like it's not and it isn't because you have her screaming hey, on the, left. On the right. you know people don't really do but like she that doesn't say too like vocally on this album she's taking on vocally like a rock balladier style which, oh yeah and does a great job at it the vocals are fantastic throughout this album i just being a nerd i guess prefer the more musical theater and theatrical style vocals of her earlier work to the more rock balladier style. So I think that, whereas for people who love this album a lot, maybe they just generally prefer more of a rock balladier vocal style. But like, so as much as, yeah, Lily shreds. She shreds a lot on this album. There's a lot of vocal shredding. and Mm -hmm. I enjoy it a lot, and I admire her vocals a lot on this album. It's just not what, like, makes my heart sing. Um, And so, too, in terms of what you were saying with lyrics, like um, Graham Thompson called the lyrics heart on sleeve and that's pretty much my issue with them he said how cliches both lyrical and musical begin to appear in her writing it's interesting how much of a struggle her quest for greater directness became spelling out what she was once able to suggest and apply which goes back to your point of showing versus telling the net results were a significant drop in artistry she's more rest assured when showing rather than telling She does not have an easy, natural gift for the vernacular or conversational in the way like someone like Joni Mitchell does. And I think I've noticed that when she goes for the conversational or vernacular, it becomes more labored or obvious versus an earlier poetic style. So you have a line like um, I think probably the best line ever written. It's just so so much going on. Oh, there's a a good phone reminder Um, (laughs) where she says in all the love, only tragedy allows the release of love and grief never normally seen like you're not there's a line on this I think it's I believe it's in um big stripy lie which says like all your young gentle dreams of youth come cling on to me mm-hmm. I love that line a lot but there don't they don't there are not these poetic lines so as um Duran Thompson says and he's not an authority I disagree with him on a lot of things in this chapter in particular he says a few things I found quite misogynistic where he says like certain things feel like a grown woman trying to play dress up as a little girl and I'm like Ugh. I smell the mis- I, I smell some misogyny but um, so but he did say, in her quest for direct communication, everything becomes overstated, which I agree with. You don't yeah. have, like, compare from Song of Solomon, the line, don't want your bullshit, just want your sexuality, versus the line in Houdini, which to me, both of these lines are trying to evoke, like, sensuality, sexuality, whatnot. The line in Houdini, it says, with a kiss I pass the key and feel mm-hmm. your tongue teasing and receiving, or from the sensual world, and his spark took life in my hand. Which, like, is also crude, because she's saying... His dick's in my hand, but it's like a poetic <laughs> way of saying it. Mm-hmm. So um, like that when you con when you contrast lyrics that are about similar themes with one another from this album and past albums, that's where I think you see the like the overstatement and how that kind of contributes to for me a weaker album, which I wanna share, say again it's not a weaker album for everyone. This is just my subjective view.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even for me like I said like even even for someone you know for anybody else this could have been like really really I it could have been very different or like when you compare this to to some other some other pop star like this would still be like whoa wait a minute this is kind of different different here and and just mm-hmm. for me yeah for for me I I just I find it a little bit uneven and I I keep thinking of like her earlier stuff, just and also just the nerd my, my musical nerd standpoint. Like I like the more complex chord progressions from like "Moving" or "Houdini," mm-hmm. where like you're just like, wait, how did she get from this chord to this chord? <laughs> but there are still some. There's some songs on here that I I do like, and I kind of like thinking about where where she was in her life and and everything, and you know she was sounds like she was going through a lot and and everything and but it, yeah it, for me it's not a bad album it's not bad it's not one of my personal favorites but i know that a lot of other people out there and a lot of you guys listening especially if you're listening because you just discovered me in the kate bush discord group you know i know that you guys are real stands over there of, of the of the album and so it has its fans and and i'm glad and and I know for me, it, it was the first Kate Bush album I ever heard, but I eventually like went on to her other stuff. But I still come back to some of these songs. Like, you know, my personal favorite with you, like the Red Shoes, the album, t- the, the mm-hmm. title track. Hell yeah. In fact, that is my freaking ringtone. <laughs> that is really? my ringtone. That's awesome. Yes, it is. It is the intro. Now it's the director's cut version. It is the director's cut version because I do like on, I like the Red Shoes. Versions of the songs that were on director's cut because they do like it gets away. It, it doesn't sound tinny the way mm-hmm. that it sounds to the way that the album songs originally sounded. It's it sounds a little bit like richer and a little and, and everything. So the intro for that song it is my ringtone and I love it because my like people will look at my mood, they're like where is the Irish jig coming from? And I go, <laughs> oh yeah, that's my phone. Hey, so. That one is my favorite song. It's it's got the Kate Bush magic to me, especially with the dancing and all the like the the interplay of the vocals. You know, she's gotta dance, she's gotta dance, right. and she, she can't to stop dance. till her shoes come shoes off, come off the shoes or they're gonna do. whip her up like a helicopter. Do. Oh, I yeah. love that line. But... Whenever
1: she leans into the Irish, it always comes out well.
2: Yeah, because it's like she's like, yeah, this is you. You could tell like this is just it's it's her thing. It's what she grew up on. It's very much a part of her. So that is my favorite song from the album. Like I, that that song. Oh, my God. And I also mm. really love Top of the City. That's i have got to say that's like that's like my second favorite is Top of the City. I love the lines in there. I love the piano in it. I love the just the dynamic shifts of it. Like that song just it really, really gets me. In fact, I'm going to try and pull up here. Mm. Let's see. Mm. Top of the City. Number 64. OK, page 64. Because I got the got the music book here you know, I love the up on the angel's shoulders. I don't know if I'm closer yeah. to heaven, but it looks like hell down there. These streets have never been <laughs> paved with gold. Welcome to the loneliest city in the world.
1: But even then, like, not to be negative Nancy, but even then, which is like, <laughs> it's okay. about, the, about the, the streets paved with gold, like, as Grant Thomas said, there's a very standard cliche in her writing, which you would have never seen before. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'm not even sure exactly what the song is up out but mm-hmm. I just get caught I get caught up in the emotion and and totally. I like how just how they get the, Ooh, ah! yeah <laughs> it's like oh
1: Atta, yeah it's good it's good yeah I like that song too I I do wonder I, I I there is no answer because there's not a universe where it's not a Kate Bush album I do wonder if it wasn't a Kate Bush album but I listened to it Um and again there's no way to know I don't know that I necessarily would that this is like, I do listen to it. It is something that I do return to. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would, whether if it wasn't Kate Bush, you know? But um, yeah, I also, title track's my favorite. Um, I've never ranked the songs in this album. Um, I just know the ones I tend to like more and listen to. Lily, as I mentioned, it yeah, has a really, like, ritualistic, mm-hmm. yeah, I like how ritualistic it is about like spells and fire. I also, it also is more of a straightforward rock song, though, which is like, not what I look for from Kate Bush, but I enjoy it, and it goes really hard, and it's fun, Um, and just all the fire imagery speaks to me, um, my Leo moon, and yeah, I, as much, like, and so is love, I, like, I enjoy um, moments of pleasure, I enjoy, I, feel like she has a little too many inside jokes with herself in the song that kind of takes mm-hmm. away from the power. Like with the George the wife and the um <laughs> I'm so mean, but I you know when she says, um um every old like my mother always said, every old sock and meets an old shoe, ain't that a great saying? I'm like, no, it's not a great saying
0: it's,
1: <laughs> it's, it's not. But like so to me it almost takes away from the song, but it is Again, I said this about in our Reaching Out episode, there's, it does feel more like a conventional ballad and, but she sings it beautifully and it does hit home when you're in that mood. Like I remember after my yeah. great uncle, my grandpa, my grandma's um, brother died and I was very close with him. And I remember being on the subway and listening to the song, and it was like very, I was definitely really emotional thinking of him and his death and my, and our, my relationship with him, um, So, yeah, I mean, Why I Love You is Fun. It's, you'll talk about this, I'm sure, more in the actual episode for the song. It's really just more of a Prince song, but I like Prince. It is. So, you know, I like Prince, so I enjoy it. Um, Top of the City, I think, is really, it had that, like, that swelling effect that you mentioned Mm -hmm. is really fun. Um, So, I have a very antagonistic relationship with Ethan Music.
0: Oh, oh boy, that
1: might be her my least favorite song in her body of work, and not mm-hmm. out of thinking it's actually bad musically. It's more because of my own issues. So, well, I mean there are some things. So it's hard for me to draw it apart from the, a uh, music video, which also comes from the line, the cross, and the curve. Mm-hmm. Which yikes! So it's Kate dancing with fruit with all black people and it's very much mm, the her being mm. with people who are all black is very much used in a way of like where white people tend to see as like pa- like actually empowering to people of color they're like look we're showing how great and free your culture is but it kind of ends up coming off as like oh i can only be my wild self and like with with people who are black and they're also wild and fun which like the underlying thing beneath there is savage you know um, mm-hmm. And I have a lot of issues. I cannot watch it. And also, um, I have, I do not eat any fruit, like literally not a single fruit. So if I have a text, I, growing up, I had hearing problems and it made my sense of texture really weird. So all the fruit stuff in this song viscerally disgusts me. Like I actually mm-hmm. get a bit nauseous if I, like, I can't listen to it. And I forced myself to because I knew we were doing this episode, this episode <laughs> and I got so disgusted oh so it's like the musical piece of it is not bad it's engaging draws you in but the those lines about like use the and I also really don't I'm just personally disgusted by food and sex metaphors I find them deeply unsexy pretty Mm -hmm. much unilaterally other people are different everyone has different things that is not one but like the fruit it's mainly the fruit thing I like it's like if you were like scared of clowns and then, like, you would you like a song about clowns? No, it would freak you out. So I'm yeah, kind of against the music. <laughs> and then what is what is? Since I'm not an episode, I'm just gonna call out the, the lines. What the What the fuck is? He's a woman at heart, and I love him for that. I'm like, go to therapy. You have a lot to unpack.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I you know it's it's and a that, pretty song. Like, it, I mean, you you and I were we looking. I kind of ranked that number eight out of twelve for me. I mean, it's it's pretty, but I don't. I find it a little repetitive in oh, a Barry. way that I don't Barry. really like from Kate Bush. Please don't mm-hmm. kill me. Please don't kill me. It's, it's it's not one that I go to, but, I mean, it's pretty song. It's pretty. Yeah,
1: it's I just, pretty song. That must be nice to be able to get past the lyrics. That must be nice. But, um, <laughs> and I usually I care more about music than lyrics, but on I head, this is personal for me. Me and Fruit have had a lifelong mm-hmm. standoff, so... I literally do not eat well, a single fruit besides plantains, which is weird. So I
2: don't like bananas, but we'll eat. But well, like fried plantains. Well, plantains are a little different because plantains are more—they're more starchy. Because what we think of mm-hmm. really as bananas is really just a dessert banana.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, and, okay. and, and it's thought of as a dessert banana because it's got more sugar in it and it's a little bit sweeter versus plantains which you know yes they are bananas but they are much mm-hmm. starchier and they're much less sweet i love fried mm-hmm. plantains oh my god i could go for some fried plantains. me too now. oh my god no so, making so me so hungry same anyway away same, from food uh,
1: <laughs> yeah other songs this album they just tend to as i said i've listened to them more because i know other people really love this album And like, for example, I know Diego has talked about being a big fan, who you've had a guest on this show has talked about being a big fan of Constellation of the Heart. So, and I respect Diego's, I really love the way that he analyzes her music and respect his opinion. So I've like listened to it and like, I I can see, again, it does the interesting column response thing. I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing here. And it doesn't really compel me that much, you know, like same for like Big Stripey Lie. I mentioned that one lyric I like, and I met a, I had an acquaintance once who like loved that song. Yeah, I just don't, I think it's like fine. Song of Solomon, I actually do like more. As I said, I find the lyrics so overstated, but the music is sexy. And like the one, the trio Bulgarka kicks in. That mm-hmm. part is hot. The, I'll do it for you. And then the, their backing, it it's very moving and sexy. Um, so. She accomplished, she she accomplished the assignment she set out for, which was to turn one on with that song. But then the lyrics are kind of cringy with how obvious overstated they are. So it's like, let me try to ignore that and just like get the ambiance because, like, but it's a sexy song and it is. I you're the one to me is just so like as like I hate to be. Redundant it's, and use the same word over and over, but C word, conventional. You're the one I'm like, this is just a breakup song. Okay. And you have the, the mm-hmm. Trio of Alvarca, I appreciate. Their presence, I think, always makes things better. Rocket Tail is one of my favorite Kate songs. But, um, and if anyone here listening compare Rocket Tail to the new Florence single, um, Heaven is Here, you'll be like, oh, the lineage, siblings, these songs are siblings. And we love these siblings. They're great, my favorite siblings. <laughs> um, So that's something I want to throw out there. Yeah, I'm just like this is just a breakup song, okay. And I like I remember on the um the mm-hmm. 2014 documentary, the Kate Bush story, where you have that um the one guy who's like singing along to Whitney so moved by. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm glad it does speak to things. Like mm-hmm. I actually think like the line which is everything I bought I bought with you, like everything. It it actually reminds me of um the Dusty Springfield song. I just don't know what to do with myself. which she's talking on that song, mm-hmm. you know it. Yeah. Yeah, she, it's basically about how what's so hard about a relationship ending is losing your best, as Kate says, you're my best friend, you lose your friend, you lose the person who's your go to default person that you like share your life with. And so it's like, who do I call who I know is going to want to see this movie with me? Who do I you know, it's like this little the little ways in which the ending of a relationship are such a big loss. I do think the song does a good song of capturing that. And
2: Uh uh-huh it does and yeah it's not something but i don't ever expect like a breakup song from kate bush Mm because but i mean and there were you were you were saying with that i just don't know what to do with myself i think of this uh, i think of another song it's a take the box by amy winehouse obviously Mm -hmm. her version is like very conversational and i mean you know when I left my shit in your kitchen, I said goodbye to your bedroom, that smell to you. But it's like this whole, like, you know, everything I bought, I bought with you makes me think of this, because all the things, you know, the machino bra you brought me last Christmas, put it in the box, put it mm-hmm. in the box. Like this idea of like everything that you, your your partner gave to you, and now you're having to take mm-hmm. it away, and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever think of, yeah, that one's kind of a little bit lower for me, like it's, there are some times where like the ending when he, she's saying sugar, that part, I remember the first time I heard that, when I first, like, played the album all the way through, that did strike me as like, whoa, okay, that that part did, like, make me cry a little bit, because I could feel like she oh, was just really? kind of Mm-hmm.
1: Because, again, not to a bitch, but I had the opposite react to that part. That part is where I'm like, you're literally saying, what, like, Mick Jagger said, like, sugar, honey, like, that's how, like, that's how people have always talked in rock songs, which is not what you do. like Yeah,
2: and... I mean, that was, like, first time I heard it, and now, like, over time, like, I I kind of, I don't listen to that one quite as much, because I don't, I don't really go to Kate Bush for, for breakup songs, but, you know, like you were talking about with that, that guy that you saw in the documentary, I'm glad that, that other people enjoy it, and it does, it does speak to a pretty universal experience, it's not quite an experience that I expect from Kate Bush, but, Mm -hmm. you know, she was trying something different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think it's an important experience, because
1: people, mm-hmm. when they talk about breakups, don't talk about, like, that, the, what I was saying before, like, the default person thing. Or, like, how usually the person you're in relationship with is your default person. And, like, I, and I actually think the Dusty Springfield song, I just don't know what to do with myself, is, like, the perfect example of a way to communicate that in the way that Kate was trying to hear in the way that like she describes, like I'm trying to just directly state emotions. Like, I mean, she didn't write that song, but the way Dusty Springfield, but the lyrics in that song just very much, she talks about like going to the movies, always like just the things she used to do with her partner that she now can't do with her partner anymore and how not being able to do those things with her partner makes her sad. And she's like naming those experiences and it's deeply moving and resonant. And um, so I think like, so in, and. All, and also too there's a song so my other favorite artist is joanna Newsom, and she has a song called but not Suffice." so it's interesting because i think with that theme of like the part of a relationship where like you're losing because too we have to remember again we don't know if this song is about Del palmer or not it's interesting that she has this like breakup song when her relationship with 15 years is broken up but we also don't want to assume at least i don't want to assume that it's about Del palmer um or about herself but but if you've been with someone, I've never been with anyone for 15 years. I mean, imagine if you're with someone for 15 years, you've built such a strong foundation in life together. So yeah. that is such a massive loss. And it also they work together um, and continue to work together. So it's not just a life, part; it's, it's a life partnership in every way. Um, and so that's such a lost degree of the changing Tenor of what that relationship's going to be, um, so I So I think it's really poignant that she's putting that out there. But with the Joanna Newsom, so it's interesting. I think the Jesse Springfield song is kind of the perfect version of like this. I'm going to straightforwardly say my emotions about how this feels, and then the Joanna Newsom song, just not to suffice, is the epitome of telling not showing. Because um, I'll look at the lyrics now, but it's basically it's almost like a little vignette into um, into. So the album that it comes from, Have One On Me, which is such a miracle such a I was gonna say I was gonna say masterpiece I said miracle but it truly is actually a miracle as well it's just it's such an amazing oh
2: anyway and which song Um, is this from from which song is it
1: so it's called does not suffice I'm looking at the lyrics. so it's about how so the whole album tracks the course of a relationship and does not suffice is the final song and it I will pack so it's about how she is picking up her stuff from the home she has shared with her partner and how taking that stuff away and through her describing her taking her things away and how they're going to be living separate lives. It's just so, Oh, it's shattering. It's shattering. Um, she says, I will pack up all, I'll, I will pack all my pretty dresses. I will box up my high heeled shoes. And then like list these things that she's, mm-hmm. and then also she's talking out to like what I love this part a lot. I picture you rising up in the morning. Oh. Stretching out in your boundless bed, beating a clear path through the shower, scouring yourself red. The taps of hangers swaying in the closet, unburdened hooks and empty drawers. And everywhere I tried to love you is yours again and only yours. Like mm. oh, even just like. But the thing is, oh that God. is what Kate is communicating in this song. But this is doing it, I think, like through poetry.
2: It is mm-hmm.
1: what Kate's doing, and like I've lived it. I had I had what I called like a does not suffice moment. I remember with an ex who I who. Our breakup was in 2017. I had been storing, not storing, I like actually my hobby of the dreaming. It's like this F got me to dreaming on vinyl. So um, there were certain things that of mine that just had been at their place. And I remember like, and I think a lot of people in relationships that end have had this experience when that, like, you have that last encounter of like, I'm going to their place and I'm going to pick these things up. And that's the last thing. And, and they just personal. And you wonder, like, you think about like Joanna Newsom does in that song. About this person and how they're living their life from day to day, without you, and you're living your life, and you wonder, are they thinking about me? And, and you think about those hooks that your clothes used to be on that are now empty, and it's beautiful. And this is not doing a Newsom podcast, so I'm sorry for derailing, but <laughs> one should never be sorry for talking out. I think, the greatest lyricist of all time. But um, but I feel like it's interesting that she is getting at that same experience. Like it is a very similar experience. It's talking about the idea of the what used to be a fused life life together now separating into two separate ones and for kate like she's so it is the part that really gets me in you're the in you're the other one is when she says you're my best friend like it, it, that i think does really hit close to home because she there are times when saying something very blatant like baldly does make an impact and her throwing that in there really shows you like what this change and again it i isn't necessarily a loss because they might still be friends but their relationship will never be what it was yeah and and it's like, for that to change with someone who's your best friend, is really hard.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you could see what she she was trying to do, you know, something a little bit different there and and everything. And, you know, I, I'm i looking at the, as you were talking, I was looking at the lyrics. I really need to listen to more Joanna Newsom. I really need to. Yes, you do. yeah you, do. Yes, you do. The agenda is <laughs> spreading. The agenda is Her voice is even more divisive
1: than Kate's. So there are certain mm-hmm. people who are like, Certain people are just not going to be able to listen to her music because of her voice. And I respect that. You know, like certain people just can't stand certain voices. Yeah. That's fair, that's fine. But if if you do like her voice, then I mean, even if you don't like her voice, just go read her lyrics as poems and mm-hmm. be very moved.
2: Yeah, because that's also the s- way
1: she her melody too. It's like the way she says certain words, the way the music comes in. Like, so you can't just read the poems. Anyway, stando and music, <laughs> <laughs> who also does so, not like to release many less work.
2: <laughs> I know. So, so I guess like I don't know. What else do we have to say about the? I think we've pretty much talked about everything. Kind of. I mean, yeah. there the oh critical reception. I mean, she seems to have been kind of. A lot of people... Here's uh, The Observer. They were saying that it was uh, Bush's most pensive album yet. It's mood of wistful mystery maintained by elaborate arrangements. Hmm, the occasional number is overwrought, but the best confirmed Bush as an artist of substance, which, you know, it is true. Um, the Independent on Sunday added, There's nothing here that quite compares with her most splendid songs, 1980s Breathing, and is The Big Sky. But The Red Shoes is a triumph nonetheless um enemy uh who has said some interesting things about her in the past <laughs> said how many of us could stand the self-imposed exile it has been the adult life of kate bush she's elevated privacy to an art form it's her most personal <laughs> Enemy, i know <laughs> just, just you, you wait. just you like right he that and
1: he's like took it as a challenge
2: yet it is her most accessible in which the listener can identify directly with the pain she's trying to pull herself through and like we've been talking about yes like there are some lines in particular that that people are drawn to that like when i read when i've when i've read through like what other people have said about about the album on uh the kate bush discord on part of hey by the way shout out that one's going to be in the in the show notes if y'all use Discord and you want to talk with other Kate Bush fans. Yeah,
1: two other points before I have said all I intended to say, which is, one is like with the I know some people sometimes say they feel like the guests overwhelm Kate that they take away from her style. I actually don't think that's true. Mm -mm. I don't feel like they overshadow her. Um, I think that they, even like, for example, Why Do I Love You sounds like a Prince song more than a Kate Bush song. You know, I don't feel like she gets overly overwhelmed. It's more that Something that occurred to me is that for me, when I, again, this I don't want to hypothesize, but when I find myself more unsure of what to do, I ask for help usually more often. I mean, that's what we all do, right? But like I tend to, um, if anyone's into the Enneagram, I'm a type six and a type six, it means that your like core motivation is like to feel a sense of safety and security. And so like not feeling, feeling unsure of oneself is kind of the norm and like always, you're often as a type six when you're in like a less healthy place, seeking out too many opinions from others and not rely, not having your own like inner voice tell you what guide you. So I wonder if maybe she was feeling less like as a, like not having like an inner muse speak to her as much, and therefore reaching out to others for assist, like for guest spots in the album because of that. Again, only a hypothesis, but perhaps like I think because this is also somebody who's so has always been so in control of her music that for mm-hmm. her to have, like she said in the uh, other interview poll, that she's like, oh yeah, when Prince said back to I that's funny. But like, it's hard to imagine her being okay with somebody else totally taking over her song in that way. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting, I'm going to put this subtly, to see with collaborations that she may or may not do in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Wink, wink.
2: Nudge, no nudge.
1: If you've gotten mm-hmm. this far into the episode... If, if, congratulations! You get a gift if you've gone to the episode, which is that, um which is uh, a hint that for again it is been recorded March thirteenth, twenty twenty two. I don't know when it comes out. I don't know when
2: July. things might be announced. It'll be in July, July sometime.
1: Certain. So things are. I have. I have family music business. I know some things. Let's put it that way. I know some things, and so I. All I'm gonna say is that I think that if and when there's collaborations with her in the future uh, it, firstly it shocks me that she might have collaborations anyways anyways I'm not gonna go there it's interesting <laughs> to know to see like what does her, a collaborative kate bush look like because that so goes against who she's been as an artist so i wonder if here she's kind of like i have less of an idea of what i want to do so maybe the contributions of others will inspire me
2: Hmm. i don't know if you felt that way um yeah, I feel like it. It, it was like when, because it feels like there was a lot going on in her life, and that, yeah, she was definitely reaching out to people to just, you know, try and get a little help in places. And and I don't, I don't feel like it. It bring. I don't feel like the guests bring it down at all. Like you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like this whole thing was her just trying, like basically just trying something new. I mean, even her trying mm-hmm. to do like a a more live band feel like people mm-hmm. playing together in a room as opposed to her sitting at the the Fairlight and fiddling with knobs and things like that like she did on the dreaming um mm-hmm. but i think that was all just part of her just trying something new her trying mm-hmm. to be a little more direct trying to do more of a live band feel so that they could probably take it out on the road even though like again i i think that even you know there there are some other artists like you know we both like Florence and mm-hmm. even some of her stuff is really complex, especially with all the vocal layering, but she still can perform them live. She can still change mm-hmm. it up a little bit. She could have done that as she wanted to, she, but mm-hmm. you know I feel like the the whole, the whole thing was her just trying something new and yeah. I have I don't know if you have any more points. I have one more points album which is.
1: Okay. I have one more point in this album, which is crucial to understanding it. It's very important, which is not. It's very superficial and shallow. But I cannot say when I talk about this album, which is great gowns, beautiful gowns. And what that means is it kind of became a meme. <laughs>
2: so you, do you know the reference? No, I don't. So there
1: was an interview years ago with Aretha Franklin where they're asking her what are her thoughts on different different artists. And so they asked her, you know, this person, oh, great singer, great writer, all this they get to Taylor Swift, and she goes, great gowns, beautiful gowns. And that was kind of, for a lot of people, the epitome of shade, because mm. um, because it's basically Aretha Franklin saying, like, I don't know what else to say besides great gowns. Like, you know, like, I don't have enough thoughts about this person, or I don't think enough positive things about her to say anything else. Like, to actually, because con- for other people, she was commenting more on their artistry. And then for Taylor she goes, great gowns, beautiful gowns. It's very funny. But um, <laughs> great gowns, beautiful So I kind of think of this album as great gowns, beautiful gowns sometimes because I really, again, I an issue I had. I feel like a lot of what I guess I will call the new TikTok fans of Kate is that they tend to really hyper fixate on like, her imagery, imagery and persona versus her music. And that I don't think is, I think it's that hold to being a Kate Bush fan in a lot of ways or to what kind of mission of her career has been. But, like, so I don't want to fixate too much on her image, but I really enjoy her aesthetic at this time. I mean, yes, I hate fruit. So the fruit dress kind of freaks me out. But, like, she's doing, like, a lot of hair extensions, and I, my whole thing is to be a woman from a pre-Apulite painting. So I'm like, girl, yes. Um, one of my, the picture of her from this era, I support the album of her in the polka dot dress. Google Kate Bush, 973 polka dot dress. One of the best photos of her because her hair is so long and red and just, like, my goal um, I'm a redhead too. And, and it's like, I just really enjoy her aesthetic around this album. There's a lot of leather. Mm-hmm. So like, and then so is love 1994 top of pop performance, which let us know is her last performance on TV to date. Um, I mean, maybe when this comes out in July, 2022, she will have been on like Jimmy Fallon with unnamed collaborator, but, um, <laughs> you know, but this is her last TV appearance to date. And she's like this aesthetic speaks to me where she has this like hair extensions down to her ass and front you can't tell in front but when they show her from the back it goes down to her ass which is my dream for myself and red lipstick and a leather jacket and i'm just like yeah yes like love the vibe love it so that is the most important thing about the red shoes great gowns people can
2: <laughs> no i know what like, you the mean hair ex-
1: when we talk about the line the cross, and the curve the whole tile means being having like Oh, her hair in this. Oh, her hair
2: in this. <laughs> so, I apologize in advance. No, I see what you mean. Like, I, I actually, while you were talking, I see what you mean with the with the polka dot dress. Yes, I love that. Oh, my God. I love that dress.
1: I have a dress that's black. My polka dots, whenever I wear it, I'm like, this is my K Bush 1993 dress. But it's more of a That picture's <laughs> about the hair. It's just like, and just her aesthetic around the early 90s. I don't know. She was killing it, in my opinion. hmm
2: well, it's, like, leftover, even from the central world, where I love, like, her hair and everything, in that era, too. Yeah. Like, it's just very, very flowy, and, yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's mm-hmm. so pretty. Anyway. Um, gosh, so, I don't think I have another. Oh, there's also. Oh. oh sorry, one go ahead. Thing.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, if anyone doesn't know this, just, you have to Google. One of the best things to come out of this album is, I believe it was Q Magazine, did a cover with her. Oh, yeah. Album, where, the headline is Booze, Fags, Blokes, and Me. Kate mm-hmm. And it's a picture of her looking like she's like just told some really long story and she's kind of like, really? Like, she looks very annoyed <laughs> in this picture. <laughs> oh, yeah! I'm and just... in a leather jacket with an updo. She looks, as I said, it's a great aesthetic. great aesthetic. Great aesthetic. Great gowns, people gowns. Just that head look. Because, okay, obviously, Fags in in the UK doesn't mean cigarettes but they knew what they were doing like that cover is meant booze, bags, blokes, and me. It's so funny too because according to anyone who's ever encountered her she's had like such a non star lifestyle but they're mm-hmm. playing it up like that and then her on this cover is looking like exhausted with life like ennui so great. Best thing to come out of this of this era.
2: Yeah and even more than that the, the headline she never said anything like that in the entire fucking interview No! <laughs>
0: no it's,
1: it's just like, like what they're trying to create this salacious thing i mean i'm googling it now just so I can have a laugh nice bloke, yeah me
2: too and i me. i have to pull this up here it's been a while since reaching I've seen out it.
1: Booze, yeah booze, q magazine booze bags blokes. and me and she just looks on the cover she's like it looks like someone who wants like she's like when is this photographer gonna leave Kate Bush, the Q interview, whose bags blokes in me. Like, I mean, she has a lot of F-words in her life, but that's not what she meant. Uh, I, blokes. It's, and, like, yeah, blokes. She was with the same guy 15 years. Like, how, how salacious. Um, Always. But, yeah, great cover. Great, iconic cover. Just Google that is. Google booze bags
2: look at me. And I'm actually going to link to it in the show description because y'all got to see this. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> it's so good.
1: It's so good. I she li- describes her fan base more than her. <laughs> I say this as a member of her fan base
2: who that relates to. So I think yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, for me, just kind of wrapping up, like just for my general thoughts that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not a top five favorite for me, The Red Shoes, but it does have some songs on there that I like that, that kind of speak to me a little bit, but I I generally listen to some of their other, album, her other albums before I come to this one.
1: I don't like, it doesn't, like there's other work by other artists where i like, like, oh,
2: actually I can or reverse, like
1: what I was saying too, I was like, I get why people wouldn't like Joanna Newsome and mm-hmm. like, like, there are certain things that I do, I like, artistically appreciate it, but just it's not for me. I, yeah, I just wanted. I'm curious to know what about this feels so revelatory um, for others. I know a lot of people tend. When I've heard from people, love it. They tend to talk about yo, that is about grief and loss and I'm like,
2: and so is the dreaming. So, well, and a lot of those people are going to be on this season because we've already started booking yeah. and everything. So it's going to be re- great at this point. At this point, you're the first person I've talked to about anything from the Red Shoes. So, mm-hmm. um, great. I have managed to find some from some fans especially for Constellation of the Heart and a couple of these mm-hmm. others so be like okay so you said this is your favorite explain why it's your favorite hey what does this song mean to you so that's got some good great. people who who absolutely love the songs on here so it'll be really really good to talk to them um, and on that note and on that on that note thank you so much for being on the show and it's good to good to have you back on the show and all that yay yay yeah and we'll talk again for
1: Line Across from the Curve. Because I am, my background is a lot in film studies and film stuff. So I actually really like the Line Across from the Curve more, more than most people. So I'm excited to talk about it.
2: Awesome, awesome. And we'll talk to you then. Hey, everyone. So this is Future Cecily right here. So I'm actually recording this on the day that this is coming out, October 15th, 2022. And I just wanted to add a quick little note that, first of all, as always, I'm really excited to start a new season for the show Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I want to thank you guys so much for listening as well, for listening and sharing. And I know quite a bit, quite a few people have found the show because of Stranger Things and just people retweeting the show. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for listening and everything. Yay! So next week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Usually the episode that follows the album introduction episode is, well, the first song from the album. But I thought I would do things a little differently. So next week is going to be a blow-by-blow commentary of the line, the cross, and the curve. So I got together with Zoe uh, not long after we recorded this album introduction episode. And we had decided, you know, why don't we do like uh, an audio commentary for the film? And so we decided to do that. We did that on a Sunday afternoon, I believe. And the first part, we kind of talk about the history of of the movie. And then the bulk of the episode is going to be basically our commentary as we're watching the movie in real time. So this is the next week's episode, then is something that you can actually listen to while you're watching the movie. And don't worry, we'll let you know in the episode when to start actually playing it, to start playing the movie so that what we're talking about syncs up with what you're seeing. But in any case, I've listen to other podcasts that do this kind of thing and I've always wanted to do something like this and I knew immediately I wanted to do this for the line of the cross and the curve and it was a really really fun recording that and I think you guys are going to really really enjoy that. So that's what's coming next week and then the week after that we're going to start doing Rubber Band Girl. We're going to go into the first song. As of this recording I already have all but one track pretty much accounted for. So if you're a big fan of Big Stripey Lie, that is the only album song that doesn't have anybody already lined up for the song. So if you're a big fan of Big Stripey Lie, then make sure you contact me. You can contact me either on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast, and also by email, katebushpodcast at gmail.com. Also, remember, we have a hotline, so if there is a particular song that you want to just leave a couple of words about, you can go one 349 6369 And that's a little hotline there. And your message could be played on a future show. Whew. Anyway, well, I don't know about you, but I'm about to go off and start watching The Line the the Crossing the Curve again. So in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, guys. And I will see everybody next time. Bye!